This is the OK Outcast Podcast, your home for Oklahoma political intrigue and insight. Welcome, y'all, to another episode of OK Outcasts. This is Brittany, and I'm here with my co-host, Chris. How you doing today, Chris? Doing all right. It's a bit damp uh, up here in OKC. How are things looking in your neck of the woods? Uh, down here in southern Oklahoma, where I'm at, we just got briefly missed by a storm a little while ago. We got like a few sprinkles off it, but it went just north of us. So it's actually kind of cloudy and not too hot today for once. So yay. Hey, that's a win right there. Uh, so speaking of not too hot, um, I know you recently took a bit of a road trip way up north. Oh, yeah. We uh, we went up to Minnesota. We're kind of hunting for some vacation properties and um, all over northern Minnesota. It was a great time. Uh, temperatures up there, much, much more pleasant. It was, uh, you know, highs in the 70s instead of the 90s. <laughs> and uh, the trees are all green and beautiful right now. And uh, uh, while we were up there, um, we saw a timber wolf actually run across the road. It's my first time to actually spot a wolf in the wild. That was really neat. Um, looked just like a dire wolf off of uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah, I, I've only seen a wolf once, and it was really cool. Uh, also a little further north than uh, us Okies uh, live in, but um, it was um, just magnific magnificent. Sorry. Um, but yeah, I also got to see a bear in the wild. That was pretty cool. Yeah, so I've seen but, seen bears in the wild in Minnesota quite a bit. The, the bear population's pretty strong, but uh, yeah, I just hadn't. Wolves are so good at keeping hidden too. Um, they usually don't want to be around people. So yeah, it was just really cool seeing it run across the road in front of me. I was like, whoa. <laughs> And for our listeners, if you ever see a wolf or a bear or most any wildlife, a raccoon, don't approach it, like admire it, be friends from a distance. It's, yes. And also uh, don't run away because that could, um, you know, trigger their prey instinct and cause them to chase you. So, you know, maybe hold your arms out to make yourself bigger and back away slowly. That way they see you as kind of threatening and not something they necessarily want to tussle with. It's true. Uh, well, see, anyhow. Come, come, for, come for the wildlife facts and stay for the political talk. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I, uh, I think we should probably move swiftly forward. So... Where should we start? Well, what's uh, what's going on in ye old legislature in Oklahoma? Is the special session coming into play? Are we, we getting ready to see that coming? Uh, we actually have two special sessions. Ooh. One called... <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so the legislature went first, and 
they called a special to figure out what to do with the 1.87 billion uh, from the American Rescue Plan Act, which was where you're supposed to do stuff with coronavirus money. So uh, they're everybody's kind of bickering over that. Um, but Governor Stitt called a session in on June 13th um, because he wanted, quote unquote, real tax relief projects. Um, now, Governor Stitt was left completely out of the budget negotiations. They were pretty much just passed by overrides on his vetoes. And uh, yeah, so the uh, Senate and House were at odds with each other for the entire session and nothing brings uh, people together like a common enemy. So yeah, it's legislature v. gov right now. Interesting stuff. Um, so is the legislature in session now for their special session? Technically, they're in session, but they are not. They're not there. So they'll come back when they're damn good and ready, because uh, that's how they roll. And uh, I mean, there's a couple different rumors floating around when that would be. Now, the governor's special session, yeah, that has a hard date of June 13th. So, so this coming Monday. That's correct, yes. Now, can they run these sessions concurrently, like go into special session in the morning for their legislative special session, then like recess and do the governor's special session in the afternoon kind of thing, or...? Well, word on the streets is they're just going to pick up all the governor's bills and just uh, do them all in the legislative session because the rules favor them. Obviously, if the governor uh, calls it uh, and he he has a much more narrow scope of what he can call or she, um, in this case, he uh, and uh, yeah, they can pretty much uh, do whatever they want with legislative special. So word on the streets is they'll pick up whatever the governor wants and put it in their agenda and just cover it there. So, so, so they basically are just truly going to do it concurrently, not even, not even do it as a break. Just that's eh, all part of the same session, basically. Yeah. They, uh, they stole his milkshake. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, so um, interesting. So what, just one what, more interesting. Well, I just want to, wanted to get to one quick thing on the tax. Re what tax relief is he is he seeking? Uh, ambiguous tax relief. <laughs> <laughs> so he's le leaving it open to interpretation, just making it sound good since it's an election year. Oh, is it? I hadn't noticed. <laughs> 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 um yeah every everybody starts getting weird on election years like uh, i've seen the most rational uh people on both sides of the aisle just like flounder like i've got to pass something so i can put it on a mail piece uh and <laughs> it's uh and for those of you out there any um given politician no no not all of them but most of them uh, 
will do, I mean, they've horse traded, they've made some bad votes, they've made some good votes, and then they have to go back to their constituents and ask for money and uh, ask for votes. So, um, yeah. Uh, That's the name I, of the game. Money me now. Vote for me now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the sad fact of the way at least our political system works, and this is from dog catcher to president of the United States, uh, you spend your time um, uh, begging for votes, whether it's uh, legislative or not, um, or getting your constituents to vote or pouring for money. So it's pretty much a consistent cycle. Um, As someone uh, who ran for office previously, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you hoard for money real good. I did real good at it. Uh, and just final legislative fact, I, I always like to throw out a factoid because that's fun. Uh, so... 430 bills went to the governor's desk and escaped with a signature. 12 of those were Democrats uh, that originally authored the bill and didn't just sign on as a co-sponsor. So, I'm, I'm uh, pleasantly surprised that the Dems got 12 bills passed. I mean, I know that <laughs> that's, a, that's a very low percentage, but I mean... <laughs> It tells me that we at least have a few Democrats in our legislature who are looking for areas where they can find some common ground and actually get something done. So that's good. Well, actually, and I said that was going to be my final thing. But if I could give a shout out to Emily Virgin, uh, this was her last regular session. She'll still be there for special. Uh, but, you know, Every uh, House leader faces a lot of challenges, and uh, Leader Virgin did a very good job. I didn't agree with her 100% of the time. Nobody in politics agrees with each other 100% of the time. But uh, she came up out of college. Nobody thought she could do it. And she was a rising star, and she made it to leader. So... Let's give some props to. Uh, yeah, Rep Emily, uh, she's terming out this term too, right? So her her seat's yeah. an open seat that has some competition for it. So it'll be interesting to see uh, see who precedes her. She made a really funny, yeah, because she is termed out. So everybody, when they're terming out, gets to make a little speech on the floor, and her joke was, uh, uh, "Sergeant, sergeants are." kind of like security guards and decorum keepers but a sergeant uh told her you're gonna lose an inch off your heels for every 10 years you're in office and she said i've been in office in 12 for 12 years and i'm in flats so <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> oh i feel uh, that one hard <laughs> We made a deal where, hey, you ladies don't have to wear heels, but men can give up ties. 
Brittany, would you take that? I'd make, make that, that deal. And and that this <laughs> is I I love shoes and I used to love my heels and I wore them a lot, but I'm just getting too old for that. I, my knees can't take it anymore. And I just <laughs> now I'm like, oh my god, those are torture devices. <laughs> that is absolutely right. Um yeah, uh, well I I think that uh you and I both since we um work close to home uh have the luxury of uh, I don't hardly ever have to wear a suit unless it's a track suit pumas um and what's your uniform you know I'm I'm pretty much a jeans and a t-shirt gal most days I uh uh, I'm lucky to work from home, and uh, that's really nice to just be able to get on my comfy jeans and comfy t-shirt and not have to get all dulled up for no reason. Well, I'm a Republican, and I'm wearing a uh, 46 t-shirt right now. Ooh, don't let anybody know that. Uh, I think according uh, to all the Republican ads I've been seeing... Joe Biden is a communist who is personally going to take your guns and turn you into a transgender person. So you better be careful. <laughs> I think they're going to use the guns to make you transgender. Oh, my uh, gosh. I didn't even know liberals could use guns. Oh, what is this? Uh, actually, <laughs> I, I, I think I think actually if a Democrat touches a gun, they melt. Uh, <laughs> The gun or the Democrat? And to, <laughs> and to be clear to our audience, we're making light of a very dark situation, and we know that. Um, Sometimes I think, all you can do is laugh, though. Well, uh, you can cry and laugh at the same time. But uh, um, speaking of, though, there was a great uh, press conference. Uh, it was yesterday, I believe, right? With Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, yesterday for us, we're recording this on Wednesday, June 8th. So yeah, that yesterday, Matthew McConaughey, <laughs> a native of Uvalde, Texas, so, you know, this is personal for him, um, gave a, a great speech um, at the White House and wrote a really great editorial uh, about, you know, he. I love where he came from, that he, he made it clear, like, he's pro second amendment and that if we want to protect the second amendment we need actual gun responsibility laws so i really like the way he rhetorically challenged those on the on the pro second amendment side to see that you know some regulation doesn't mean it's infringing your rights and if anything will be better protective of your rights to make sure that you can still be free uh, to not have to worry that, you know, you're going to be the victim of the next mass shooter. Uh, yeah, I also liked how he wore the same shoes as one of the victims, which were some uh, converse. And the point was that that was the only way that they could identify one of the victims in Texas. Uh, <sighs> and I thought that, that that's a pretty powerful message. Um, and props to him for doing it. Good job, Biden administration. 
wearing a Biden shirt, talking about how I'm pro Biden. Yeah, they're going to kick me out of the party. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I am Republican classic. Uh, I just like moderate taxes, like marry who you want. Uh, use whatever keep, pronouns you want. Keep the government out of that stuff. That's not uh, government's yeah. role. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, that, that that's uh, obviously a serious issue, um, and uh, yeah, making light of it. But good job. But speaking of serious issues. There is uh, a hearing tomorrow or today, depending on when this goes out, on Thursday this week. Um, Brittany, what do you know about this primetime meeting other than they have a producer, which I find fascinating? Yeah, so this is going to be the very first televised January 6th committee, select committee hearing. Um, they've been doing a lot of their work so far behind the scenes and, you know, gathering witness evidence and documentary evidence and um, really trying to put together a narrative of the greater story of how January 6, 2021 happened, you know, who was behind planning the insurrection, what, what its goals really were. Um, and this just the larger narrative and uh, you know that this actually comes at an interesting time I just finished a book called Oklahoma City what the investigation missed and why it still matters and one of my big takeaways after finishing that book was how nice it would have been had we had some kind of an April 19th committee back in 1995 because part of the reason that um, that the investigation really centered on Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols and really didn't delve deeper into their ties to various white nationalist groups and who else was actually involved in planning and carrying out the attack was it because the the Department of Justice and the FBI had to really focus on, well, what evidence can we make stick in court and how can we make sure we get a conviction? And the government had previously had kind of a bad record of trying to make seditious conspiracy type charges stick in some previous white supremacist cases. Uh, they had gotten acquittals. Uh, the defense attorneys had gotten their clients acquitted. And so the government was real hesitant to try to make the criminal trial in, into something about white nationalism. And so now there's this just general feeling, and I think, you know, ask most people on the street about the Oklahoma City bombing, and they're going to talk about it as some kind of a lone wolf attack, that it was just, you know, a couple of guys and their buddies who did this. And that's just not really accurate if you get deeper into what all evidence didn't get brought to court. And so I'm really glad that in this case, 
DOJ can keep focusing on making criminal cases where they can, and they're they're making good cases there. They've actually got several guilty pleas on seditious conspiracy from some Oath Keepers and Proud Boys. But what they really haven't been able to get at is that larger narrative of the the bigger picture of what was going on, who was really planning this, what its goals were. And I think what we're going to see out of the January 6th committee is a much broader picture, not just of who's criminally liable, but just the whole narrative of how this took place, how it was pushed onto these groups, how they took advantage of these groups to make this happen. And my understanding is uh, there's going to be some really good timeline stuff where they're going to juxtapose what was going on on the ground in a split screen with what was going on at the White House uh, under former President Trump at the time to really give a better understanding of exactly how and when and what happened. So I think it's important for Americans to, to watch these hearings if you can. We're going to learn a whole lot in the coming weeks um, as and we'll definitely be doing probably an entire podcast on that. Oh, yeah. Expect me to talk about this some more because this truly is one of the most important moments in our history as an American democracy. Never before have we had a president lose an election and then attempt a coup to try to stay in power. And I think the committee is going to show us just how close we came to that happening. And, and I think it's important that we know that and understand it. Absolutely. And if you can't catch it, read the headlines. Everybody's got the Googles. Because as a lawyer, you know, like, when do you get cameras? When you're walking down the court, uh, uh, courthouse steps or, you know, if you're the attorney general, you can... Uh, you know, use that press conference room. But other than that, you don't really get to talk until you've done something, right? Like you have a verdict, it's all done. Yeah, you know, mo most of your work as a lawyer isn't isn't press relations as much. Um, you know, some of us do some of that, but yeah, and and particularly with the Department of Justice. They've got a their focus is on what evidence can actually get into court, can meet all the rules of evidence and procedure that we can actually use to get a conviction. And that's just a whole different aim than trying to paint the bigger narrative picture. And so, you know, like specifically in the Oklahoma City case, they left out 24 witnesses that were never called to court that all saw Timothy McVeigh with another person on the morning of April 19th. But because that might have implicated a wider conspiracy with even more people involved, and that they had trouble having the evidence to truly connect that, they ended up not calling any of those witnesses and even opening that can of worms because it could have potentially cause them to, to not get a conviction of the people they specifically did know were involved. And so it, it left a lot to be desired. 
I and I don't criticize them for it. They did what they had to do in their case, but the public deserved a deeper understanding that wasn't just about who can we convict, but who was really involved in this and and what can we do to make sure those names are known. And the crazy thing about it is a lot of the same people that were involved in April 19th behind the scenes that never faced justice for that or even scrutiny um, are still some of the same people involved in January 6th. So it makes me wonder if, yes, had, I mean, if we had had a committee. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, go go for it. No, no, no. no. I, I, absolutely. We should have had a state legislative, uh, I guess back then we called them blue ribbon committees. We definitely should have had a congressional committee. I just wanted to add to your, it, they narrowed the scope of who they were going after and didn't go after the conspiracy thing. And they also only um, brought up seven victims that were federal employees uh, because it was easier for the federal government to say, you killed these federal employees and make the case based on that than it was to charge for every single one of the deaths that those assholes caused. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, so that's, that's really why it is so important to have dual investigations at the same time, because they're, they're investigations that have different aims. And since Congress doesn't have to worry about what's going to stick in court, they're going to give us a much better, broader picture of the full narrative. Absolutely. Well, I know we're approaching uh, our stopwatch here, and um, we always try to end on a positive note. Um, Brittany, I told you the next time you're in OKC, you guys can stop by for uh, the mini tomatoes. I think we should actually put out a picture of some of these tomatoes, um, uh, the pickings, because they look really good, and Vidalia onions. So, uh, yeah, um, you could make a little uh, bruschetta. I would love that. Uh, with my fresh homemade Italian bread, that will be tasty. Okay, well, here's the deal, though. You got to bring me a loaf of your fresh Italian bread for my fresh tomatoes and onions. And I actually have a little basil as well. So I've got all the ingredients for bruschetta for you, even though technically I know guys, anybody's going to call me out on this. You don't use onions in a true bruschetta, but I do. And it's delicious. So I break the rules in the kitchen. I'm a rebel. You have a deal, sir. I will definitely bring you an Italian loaf. Alrighty. Well, I look forward to the first time I can see you in a while. And uh, happy travels, my friend. You as well. Um, and uh, we'll be back with you guys next week, and we'll have a lot more to talk about. Absolutely. As Mr. Rogers said, we'll have things to talk about. <laughs> Adios, y'all. Adios. Uh -huh.